Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. Thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Eitan Chitayat. He's the founder of Nati Branding Agency in Tel Aviv, Israel. He's also a founding chapter member of Israel's entrepreneur organization and served as its communications chair for two years. He's a creative director. He's a copywriter. He's a brand builder. Eitan's been delivering branding campaigns for B2C and B2B clients for over 20 years. And before I turn it over to him, I just want you to know he created a very special viral video called I'm That Jew, which has been viewed over 10 million times on various platforms. And it's also been exhibited at the Museum of Jewish People. He also gave a TEDx talk, but we're going to get into all of that. Eitan, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Good to be here. You make me sound really good. <laughs> Listen, you've done a lot of interesting stuff. It just sounds really good when you say it. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, first things first. Are you going to be able to disrupt the world of branding from Tel Aviv? Is this possible? I think we're doing it. Tell us more. How so? Well, I mean, I think that with the type of products and services that are coming out of Israel, you know, we are called the startup nation. There are such disruptive technologies coming out of this place that really blow our minds. Just every day, practically, we are approached by one other company, one other startup that just comes up with something incredible. And so we're intrinsically connected to that ecosystem. And I consider ourselves really blessed that we're able to work with such incredible people. Like, literally, it's just inspiring. Every, you know, I'm looking at my... Uh, current clients right now on the board there, just like just incredible companies that we're working with. And it doesn't stop. It's like for 10 years now I've been mm. doing this and it just doesn't stop. All right. So give us an example of some of the disruptive technologies that have kind of walked you know, in the door or, or set up a Zoom with you. What, what have you seen recently or in the last couple of months where you went, wow. Okay. You know what? I won't start with the technology. I'll, I'll start with two women that came knocking on our door they had heard about us due to some work that we had done. And they said, look, we have, a, we have a chewing gum that is just a regular mint-flavored chewing gum. You pop it in your mouth, you chew it, and you finish with it. And then it just tastes like regular gum. But then what you do is you, you have a piece of that chocolate cake or you want like a sweet cup of coffee, you have your lollipop. You put that in your mouth and it tastes disgusting for the next two or three hours. So what it does is it neutralizes the, the, you know, the sugar receptors on your tongue for two or three hours. It's completely natural. Hmm. Who doesn't want to work on something like that? What's it well, we, we, uh, we just completed the branding, so I think I can, I can say the name. It's called Sweet Victory. Nice. Uh, now you sugar, now you don't. So it's, <laughs> it's really fun, um, but it's brilliant. And it's, it's, it's natural. Um, and these two women are just like entrepreneurs and they already have, a, a, you know, am I allowed to swear on this thing? Yeah, of course. Okay. We are in advertising. Um, a shit ton of uh, orders already. And that was just like a, a month and a half ago. And we're just completing their website. We've done their naming, their strategy, their logo, uh, everything. And that's not high tech, but that's just like, 
two women who are just following their dream. They're very hungry. People in Israel are very hungry to succeed for many reasons. You know, we're geographically distant. There's a lot of smart people here. Um, so that's one of the latest things that we that we worked on. It's not a technology at all, but it's All right, it's so great. Sweet Victory Sugar Neutralizing Gum. That's one of the disruptive products that uh, have, has crossed your transom. Give us another one. Another one. There's a company called, I've got there so many, another company is a company called SciTech, which has been around for almost 20 years, but recently they did a rebrand because because they had been around for 20 years, they were considered a little bit too academic and they wanted to attract new people. Uh, what they do is they have the technology that allows drones to fly autonomously. And that Rob is coming in around 15 years, people mm -hmm. will be able to call for a drone, which is not got a pilot. It'll park on the lawn. You'll get in and it'll fly you somewhere. Now you imagine flying with someone in a drone a pilot. That's scary enough. You imagine going without someone. How do you get around that bird? How do you avoid that building? So their technology allows you to quote unquote see. That's another company that we did the, the branding for. There's another company that we worked for a couple of years ago. They were called Valtech, um, a heart device. They were acquired for almost a billion dollars. Hmm. And we worked with them for four years, hand in hand, and through the acquisition and everything. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's two women who have an idea. Sometimes it's a medium-sized uh, technology startup. And sometimes it's a company that's acquired for a billion dollars, you know. So, I mean, that's off the top of my head. No, that's good. I like that. I like that drone alone. That's a free one for drone you. Drone alone. That's a good one. Where were you? <laughs> but all right. So now I want to ask you this question. Why? Yeah. Why are there all these brilliant entrepreneurs in Israel? Like, like what is it about that place? Because like you said, you, you know, you could, you could tell me five other ideas, 10 other ideas that you, you, you've heard recently. What is it about Israel that fosters this kind of disruptive thinking? Well, I think the first thing that I'd like to do is plug a book, you know, that, that I didn't write. <laughs> um, but it was written by uh, uh, Dan Senner and Soul Singer. And it's called Startup Nation. And, and, and they answer that question much better than, than I could ever answer it. But the, but the bottom line is it's, you know, Israel is, is, uh, is geographically, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, if you look at our neighbors and what Israel has been able to achieve in terms of medical advances, technology advances, cultural advances, it's quite astounding. And I think that the fact that we don't have, I mean, I hope that changes soon, but we don't have uh, the type of relations that we would want to have with our neighbors, it means that we have to succeed and work harder to reach America, to reach China, to reach Europe. So I think that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing is, look, I mean, I'm Jewish and, and our culture, I think, is very, you know, education is very, very important in our upbringing um, and it's pushed. I think that also Israel is a country which, you know, really came about in the last hundred years. It's a very young country mm -hmm. and we're pioneers in many ways and we're still building. I also think that um, Israel is made up of, you know, if you think about America, it's made up of immigrants. Israel is also made up of immigrants. A lot of people don't know that. And so there's this mix of just incredible people um, with different ideas. And there's, there's a buzz, especially in Tel Aviv. There's a real 
entrepreneurial and innovative spirit here. You think about all those things, and it's the army, and it's not a conventional army in the sense that the way that we've had to fight our wars, we've had to ring it a little bit. So we have the discipline of an army, but everyone in Israel knows each other. I mean, it's a very small country, so you also have the informality, which means that you can question, and this is a very Israeli thing, you can actually question your commanding officers. Hmm. And after your mandatory service, which, which we have, men do three years, women do two years, then the men that do their reserve duty, which we have to do until, you know, 40-something, you become friends with your, with your commanders. So there's this, this chutzpah, you know, chutzpah, hmm. which, you, which you have as well. You can challenge your peers. You can say things to the people above you that in America might not be politically correct. Um, I was shocked when I came here because I was uh, the executive creative director of TBWA, and that's actually where we met, uh, TBWA Digital, uh, around 10 years ago. And I was just shocked at how, you know, regular employees talk to very, very senior people and how the senior people kind of like accepted it. There was nothing wrong with it, just mm. coming from America, which, you know, in terms of my career, it was shocking. So. That's a very long answer to your question, but it's all of those things together that make it such a unique place. Yeah, I, I mean, I think all that you say there, I think, is an interesting kind of gumbo of an answer. You know, there's lots of uh, pieces to that. One thing I think that you said, though, that, I, that sticks with me the most is the inconvenience of the place, that the ideas have to be so good that they're able to kind of jettison out of there. I think there's something to that. It's like uh, what somebody once told me, you know, you can't get a plane off the ground unless there's resistance. Yeah. It seems like resistance becomes part of the, the alchemy of the thinking. You've got to fight here. Mm. It's not easy. You've got to fight. I mean, Israelis as a culture, we're very tough people, very high expectations, very competitive, very smart people. And you have to fight. They always say you don't come to Israel to succeed. You know, you come once you've succeeded. And I'd say 90% of the people, friends of mine that have come here left because they went back, you know, to wherever it is they came from because it's really hard here. So you've got to have a thick skin. You've got to be tough. You've got to challenge because, and you know that you'll be challenged. I mean, sometimes when we're faced with clients, it's, uh, you know, what are you talking about? Why, why are you talking like you do? And they do because they just, because they can. But, but once you get past that, I, I think then, you know, when you're working with a client, for example, once you get, you get past that, it's just the way the culture is. It's not that people are necessarily rude. Hmm. They have no filter. They have no filter, <laughs> which is very, very beneficial in many ways. I mean, that's I think, that, very I think interesting. That's, it's, it's a secret to the success of Israel in many ways, because if you, you know, you're in a room and you have this new technology and you see that the Americans are doing it and they have their corporate way of getting to, you know, then the Israelis will say, well, let's not do it like that. Let's just mm. the chase. Let's do it like this. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. What have we got to lose? It's a lot of that, too. You've got to fight. You've got to be tough. But I like this idea. Not rude, no filter. I think that's very clear. Well, rude, definitely rude sometimes. And sometimes not rude, just no filter. But yes. yes. So, all right. So, so, so tell us a little bit about Natty. N-A-T-I-E. Tell us about Natty. Because again, what I, you know, one of the ways that we've connected is, yeah, again, another interesting disruptive idea, which was you had other people populate and share their ideas on your blog, your corporate blog for Natty. So sure. maybe talk a little bit about what Natty is and, and, and why you do that. 
Sure. Well, um, maybe I'll just tell you. I'll tell you what Natty is first, and then we can get to the, the guest writing series. But you know, I came. I think. I think we just I'll tell you a little bit about my background first. Like, um, I, I was at BBDO um, and Ogilvy and Mather and Arnold Worldwide in the States for around 13 years. I worked on Volkswagen and American Express and DHL and Target, blah blah blah. And then I came here. I was the executive creative director at TBWA, and then and then it just wasn't what I was used to. The 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 maybe the work standard. I came from a very good school, I think, you know, I started at Volkswagen at Arnold, you know, what more could I have wished for in, in, the, in, in the heyday. So I stopped there after a year at TBWA and I started working with my own clients as a writer, like you, I'm a writer. And then from a writing project, it was like we needed some design and then we needed some strategy. And slowly I started building a team. And the team that I built was a team of seasoned creatives. I'm talking about people who are just absolutely incredible, a gifted uh, mm. designer in Italy called Nicola, who I've been working with for many years, a fantastic strategist here, an English guy called Dan, I worked with Dana Satterwhite, who I'll tell you more about later in the States, John Simpson, who's a creative director at Jack Daniels, just really great people because that, was the standard that I wanted. And we started working remotely around 10 years ago, meaning I sat down in Tel Aviv and we had clients in China. We worked, like we launched Gmail in Africa for the continent of Africa and Southeast Asia. That was, that was me and my wife at home with our team. Hmm. And it just, that's how it came about. So we, we offer world-class standards of branding. And we're a team based around the world and we've worked on every continent. And that's what Natty is. We're a branding agency. And I think where we're different, certainly for the branding agencies in Israel, is well, first of all, we're more premier, uh, I think, than most agencies. And you have a lot of talent here. But we also have that international, that mm. fully international experience that many agencies don't have here. So you get a lot of Israeli companies that want to reach the global arena. Mm. Um, and that's our sweet spot. But we also have a lot of international companies because of, I guess, my maybe reputation or my presence or my experience, they come to us and they, we do work for them as well. So it's interesting. So you're kind of a global company that just happens to be in Tel Aviv. You know, it's a global yeah. entity. Yeah, sure. it's really interesting. And I like that, I'll, I'll use a good uh, kind of a Jewish concept. You've been working in a diaspora. You're like a, you're like, yeah. a, like, a, like a, a communications diaspora. And what I loved about when we first started talking is that you didn't start this working this way because of COVID. You already liked working this way going back a decade. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, Rob, is around nine years ago, eight years ago, seven, six years ago, five years ago, when I would walk into a, a client, a big client here in, in Israel, they would say, well, who's your team? And I would hmm. say, you know, I wouldn't lie. I'd say, this is, this is my team. And they'd be like, well, yeah, but who do you hire? Hmm. And I'd say, well, you know, we keep the overhead low, but these people are permalancers, you know, they're, they're permanent freelancers because we have a relationship and we like working together. Well, I could go with this agency and they have 20 people. I can go to that agency, they have 35 people. And I was just like, yeah, but look at what we've done. Look, so people, what I'm saying is people were very skeptical. Mm. And it took, a, that was part of the fight, you know, and, and mm. a lot of the onus was on me to personally gain their confidence and their trust until we had established a, a, a reputation as an agency now that are, uh, hopefully, at least here in Israel, our reputation precedes us. But yeah, it was always remote and it was a choice. Look, it's mm. not easy to work with a writer in the States and uh, you know, a guy over here and a girl over there, but I do it because 
they meet my personal standards, which are very, very high. I mean, I like to say I don't answer the client standards. You know, mm. I don't answer the client. I answer your brand. Mm. And that's what I learned from my days, you know, with, you know, initially with Lance Jensen and Alan Paffenbach at VW under Cliff Wong, just perfectionists, you know, yeah. at what they do. And so it's always been like this for me since I've been in Israel. And I love it. I mean, look at this. Look at what we're doing. This is just great. So you, so you saw the future. I like that. I think that's that's really. I saw the future without knowing that that would be the future. <laughs> Listen, now everyone's jumping on my bandwagon, which kind of sucks. But there you go. We're ahead of the curve, hopefully. That's right. Well, I'm sure you've got the, something else up your sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now the other thing, but, but before we talk about your journey, because you hinted at it, which I think uh, people will find fascinating, I do want to talk a little bit about some of your side hustle. Uh, sure. your, and, and I'm going to call your side hustle the "I'm That" series. So maybe talk a little bit about just what the I'm That project is. You're seeding things. I like that, Rob. You're seeding things before they actually happen. But um, okay. Uh, yeah. So, so you know, um, you saw the film. But yeah, I, at, at a point in time where there was just an incredible amount of anti-Semitism and violence uh, in the world around five years ago. I mean, unfortunately, it's around right now as well. And it was around a long time before that, too. But there was a big spike. I wrote a piece called I Met You and I made a film called I Met You and I released it and yeah, it went viral. And uh, all it was really was an expression of my pride in my identity and my heritage that I felt my Jewish brothers and sisters around the world needed to hear. And um, look, it, it, it did get around 10 million views around the world. And a lot of people say, wow, you know, it was against anti-Semitism, but it actually wasn't. It was based on the fight against anti-Semitism. And it wasn't because it was um, after Charlie Hebdo in France, a friend of mine who had lived in Israel who moved to France said that, you know, when I spoke to her to see how she was doing, because it was a scary time, she said, you know, I don't tell anyone I'm Jewish. I don't tell anyone that I lived in Israel. And that shocked me in this five years ago in this day and age that you wouldn't tell someone that you're Jewish. And that's when I sat down and I wrote it. So it was to her, you know, and it was to me. And it, it really just came out as the first line was, I'm that Jew. You know, that was the first thing that came. And then, you know, how as a writer, just, it just you know, it just all starts coming out. And I didn't change the, the edit too much. Just talk a little bit about the TED Talk. How did that all happen? Because I think a lot of people uh, are impressed with people doing TEDx and TED Talks. And how did that uh, process all work out? Because I think a lot of people have ideas and they're trying to figure out how to do them. Well, actually, it came at the end. It was an idea from 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 someone that I know, uh, who become very good friends, um, Guy Spear, a guy who lives between Switzerland and and London, and he he told me I'm putting together a TED talk in Zurich, and well, I absolutely love that film. Mm. Um, would you be willing to come and do it? And I was like, okay. And I thought, you know, he'll tell me like it's in six months, you know, or like. And he said, you have to be ready in five weeks. Mm. And TED talks are not easy to prepare for. There's a lot of pressure. And I, I did it. And, and the problem was that this was a few years after I'm That Jew had already gone viral. Mm. And you know, when something is, is fresh and it's in you, then fine. But a few years later, it's not that I was tired of it. And it's not like I had moved on. But as a creative, I think I had moved on. Mm. And so I had to really go back. And that was the whole process. And it... It's something that I really actually didn't like, you know, maybe I, I think it's the first time I've ever been saying this in an interview, but I, I didn't want to do it. 
And if mm. it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't have done it. But she said, you have to do it. You have to do it. And I'm so glad that I did because it was very painful to go back oh, and to um, talk about something that was so vulnerable. And I remember on stage, I had to hold myself together to not, mm. to not break down because, uh, and if you watch it, you'll see that I get, I choke up because it's exposing. It's one thing to do the film and put it out there. It's another thing to do a TED talk and talk about your vulnerability. So it's not like some light, fun TED talk. You know, it's uh, it's heavy shit. Oh yeah. All right. So uh, we're we're not going to waste a moment. So you've got a new viral, we'll call it potential viral. Can you tell us the subject matter? Yeah. Um, it's about women. Can I tell you a little backstory before I tell you what it is? Please. Dana Satterwhite, who is um, a copywriter, creative director. I met him in my Volkswagen days, and we've become very, very close friends. He lives in Houston with his family. He was someone that really helped me with I'm That Jew from a place of creative support. He's the person that I would go to to be like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Mm. So after I'm That Jew went viral, a very big, I, I don't think I should say the name, but a very big TV channel from the States, which everyone knows, approached me and said, listen, we saw I'm That Jew and we'd like to leverage it. We'd either like to take the idea and replicate mm. it or work with you. And it's for Mother's Day and we'd like to make something called I'm That Mother. Mm. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I thought about it and I thought about it. And um, I, I just I just couldn't get behind it because there's a tension with I'm that too. There's a, a, there's a conflict there, like there's a misunderstanding. But what misunderstanding is there with mothers? We love our mothers. You know, after two or three sentences, what else are you going to say? So I told him, you know what? I don't think that's right for the piece, but which was not easy to say to them because, you know, <laughs> that's like, it's big deal, you know? I said... What about I'm that woman? I mean, women are, there's, there's, there's a conflict there. There's a misunderstanding there. There's a lot to say there. And they didn't want to because they said that their demographic wasn't right, they, they, which, which really surprised me. They, they said that it was too- Provocative? Deep. Yeah, maybe too provocative, too deep. You know, red states, blue states, all of that stuff. Mm. So I said, no. And I hung up and then I called Dana up and I said, Dana, why don't we do this? I'm not doing it on my own. I would like to do it with you. And he said, let's do it. And we started working on it. Unfortunately, in the, while we were working on it, his father passed away. And mm. then, um, you know, he was living in Houston where all those terrible uh, floods, you know, uh, happened. And so we worked on it. And then for two years, it stopped. And then with this pandemic, we just said, let's do it. And we put together a team and it's called She's That Woman. And what it really is, is an articulation of my deep respect and admiration for women with Dana, you know, uh, our, our perspective coming from two men. Mm. It's not what women are. It's what we would like to say to women and that we hear them and that we admire them and we respect them and we love them and we revere them. And it's called She's That Woman. And um, my nephew, Adam, is producing it. We have an editor in France. Uh, oh, and we have, I'm a huge Prince fan. And I have known uh, Lisa Coleman from The Revolution, who is a musical partner of Wendy, Melbourne, Wendy and Lisa. So they did a lot of music with Prince in The Revolution. I approached them and they're doing a, an original score. And it's just very, it's just wonderful. I don't know if it'll go viral. We're not doing it for that. We're doing it because it's something that we want to say and we want to put out there to the world. So, Terrific. so wow. that's what we're doing. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. She's that woman. 
we'll we'll be looking out for that. No, it's I think it's very interesting these uh, kind of celebrations of whether it's a people or it's you know a celebration of women here, and uh, you know who knows what what'll be next. But let's see how this one goes. Very good. All right, so let's talk a little bit about your journey. You hinted about your career in the states, but I don't know what are kind of uh, maybe like kind of three big moments. How did how did you get to where you are today? Roll us back. So I so I was born in Israel, and then after six months we moved to to Hong Kong, and I grew up there for twelve years. Wow, uh, which was amazing because it's just very multicultural. I mean, listen, this was in the seventies, so I, I I don't know what it's like there now, but I had a, a wonderful childhood. And then um, we moved to London, and I lived in London for the next seven years. And then I I went to Israel. I did my army service, and I did my first degree. So I was in Israel for seven years. And while I was there in Israel uh, at the tail end, I met a I, I met my a woman who you know big love, you know that type of thing. And I moved yeah. to the states. So the relationship with her didn't work out, but the but the move to the states was was fantastic. And I moved to Boston, and that's where I did my my master's degree at Emerson College. And Coming out of Emerson College, um, in my last semester, I believe, I did an advertising course with a guy called Chuck Bache mm-hmm. and also a guy called Tim Burnell. And they opened my eyes to what advertising was, creative advertising. And the interesting thing is, you know, I, I was there to study marketing. I was 10, mm-hmm. 27 years old and I was about to get a you know, 30, 40,000 job coming out of college. And all of a sudden, I, I, I discovered writing headlines and putting them together with images. And I sat down in the computer lab, I put together a portfolio. And there was a spot open at Volkswagen, and Tim was oh, a writer Arnold at Volkswagen. Was your first... at Arnold. Wow, you must have had a pretty no. good book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was. I'm, I'm forever indebted to Tim Burnell because he just, I think he saw in me something, and there was a spot. Huh. He, he helped make it happen, and I became a writer on the Volkswagen account, and I was there for four years. Um, and by the way, that was during. On the road of life, there are passengers and there are... And yeah, yeah, drivers wanted all of that. That was, that was, you know, there were 10 of us, 10 riders, and I was one of them. And um, I mean, you know, that, that's just like, just an unbelievable a opportunity. Golden moment. A golden, golden moment. moment. I, honestly, I don't think people today realize what those days were like when you... you know, it's Because it's changed now. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not the same now. But um, I, I was... I, just on that point, because I, I don't want to derail us too much, but... That was the moment where I saw the connection between Think Small and Lemon, the stuff that Doyle Dane did, and then here was this next amazing chapter. And frankly, there's just never been uh, a golden moment after that. There's no no 3G of Volkswagen. You know, it's those two moments. No, it was really magical. And the thing that I loved about it was that it was a real writer's account. You know, so Tim Burnell, Carl Loeb, Oh, my God. You know, Dana Satterwhite, Shane Hutton. These guys were... And Lance. Lance well, Lance. So Lance, Lance was the one that, that hired me along with Cliff Wong, um, who was the head of the design department, who, by the way, I don't think that's enough credit. Uh, Cliff Wong was the, you know, the design director of the Volkswagen mm. Design Group. And, and he was in a very inspirational, uh, very quiet, soft-spoken guy. But he, he was great. So they were amazing, and that's where I landed. So I was at Volkswagen for four years. I kind of butted heads with them in the end uh, because I just didn't want to do what they told me to do anymore. And I, I, uh, I did. I butted heads, and I rubbed people the wrong way towards the tail end. But you know, I, I used to feel really guilty and terrible about it. But now I understand why that is, and that's because I'm a hustler and I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm not a yes man, and I won't jump 
as high as you tell me to. And I think that that actually was a very good experience as well, which mm. I don't usually talk about. It's, it's there's being at Volkswagen, but then there's also on the personal side, after four years, I wanted the next thing. And I, you know, right. uh, so anyway, so I went to uh, Ogilvy and Mather snagged me and moved me to New York where I worked on American Express and, um, and uh, DHL. And I worked at the, at Ogilvy One under Bruce Lee, who was absolutely phenomenal mm. human being and man. And then uh, after four years there, BBDO. And I was a uh, creative director at BBDO on Target and AT&T under um, Arturo Aranda, who is the reason that I left. Like I took a pay cut. I had like around four or five different job offers, but I took a pay cut to work with him because I just, I just really respected him. And then also Stuart Carl came for AT&T. And that was, that was me in America. And then that was around 12, 13 years in the States. And then I wanted to come home. Mm. My parents are getting older and mm. I just wanted to be near them. So I did the thing which most people like my the career trajectory was up. I was an associate creative director mm. on Target. Mm. And I just said, um, I'm going back. I came mm. back to Israel and and that's it. And that's yeah. and did you, by the way, did you did you always want to be a writer? Did you like were you writing when you were a kid in Hong Kong or Yeah, you know, I, I was always writing and I was always drawing and and I actually kept my scrapbooks. And once in a while, I look at them, and I have two wonderful boys, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, Ben and Tom. And, and I see them drawing now. And uh, it's just interesting. It takes me back, and they're learning how to write. So I was always writing, and I was always drawing, and much more so as a young teenager about really mm. deep and dark things, you know, <laughs> of a dark side that not people <laughs> know about. They think I'm more like, hey, I'm that Jew. She's that woman. But uh, yeah, there's a dark side here. But yeah, always writing and always drawing, actually, and still. Very good. All right. Well, we've reached that part of the show where you get to give a piece of advice. And I think what I think would be interesting here, and again, we've got CMOs who listen. We've got rising stars who listen. Uh, we have a pretty broad uh, base of listeners. And, and by the way, it's all over the world. It's a very global podcast. But mm -hmm. because you've been again, working in this kind of digital diaspora, in this modern way, maybe you can give a piece of advice and what's the best way to work when the agency is everywhere? You know, I think, you know, it's very, it's, it's tempting to try and frame it in this world of COVID. And I've been tainted by this world of COVID like everyone else in the last six months, but I'm trying to actually go back to years and years ago. I remember when we delivered gmail to africa and i remember doing it from our small apartment in tel aviv and we had two designers one in israel and one in the states and we had two writers and we were and we were we, we were and and there was africa as well and you know what we just got on with it you know i think hmm. i think and i was speaking to a very close colleague of mine the other day about the challenge of working right now. And he said, everything, he said, I've got eight calls and they're all eight hours. Eight, it's going to be eight hours of calls today. And then I have to do the work. I would say, fuck that shit. Get on with it. If you have to do the work that no one else will do, then you have to, you have to fight for that time to do the work. I'm talking about as a creative. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what, that's something that I've learned, not only working remotely, but also working in Israel, if I can bring it back. Mm. You know, this is a country that 
is really under an existential threat every day. Mm. It really is. Uh, there's no need for violins or sympathy. I'm not saying it for that reason. I'm just saying that the, the mentality here is to shut the fuck up and get on with it. Mm. Don't say it, do it. And I think that if I want to, from my home, work on 10 different clients while creating a piece that is eight minutes long with, with Prince's ex-band, who I'm big fans of anyway, then I'm just going to try and make it happen. And I'm just going to go for it. And um, I'm not going to talk about it too much. So maybe that's a bit uh, harsh, but I think, uh, I think uh, the world could use a bit of a kick up the butt, you know, like get on with it. Just get on with it. Just shut the fuck up and stop complaining and just fucking get on with it or shut up. You know, sorry. Maybe you got me in this mood tonight. Usually I would say, you know, be yourself and follow <laughs> no, your truth. No, this is great. And I would, and I believe in that, and I believe in that too, by the way. You know, follow your truth, be yourself, all of that stuff. But right now I'm like, just do it. Look at what you did, by the way, if I can give you a compliment. You did, a, you know, George Tannenbaum, you, Dogspot, amazing. Did it. Put it out there. So a kid, could, a kid who is hungry, you know, and, 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 and you have the ability today to reach so many people, hopefully with, with good and pure and honorable mm. intentions, then I would encourage you to do it. And if you are in the field of advertising and creative and branding, then it's not enough to just have the day job. I was doing films for Israeli and Palestinian peace 10 years ago. Mm. I was side hustling 15 years ago. Because I think that if we have this ability to communicate for the betterment of humankind, if we can, then I think it's our responsibility to do it. And so I would say do that as well. That, that was, I think that's perfect. It's, it's the perfect thing. So I guess I'm that host. I'm that host you, who's lucky to talk he's to He's that host. Like you. So I'm lucky, sir. I'm the lucky one. And, and, uh, and, and, I'm, a, and I'm a big fan of yours and everything that you've done. And it's just really, it's, a, it's an, I'm pinching myself. It's an honor to be talking to you and to know oh, you. Really, I really do. Uh, you stop. You, know, you, you stop. stop. All right, Eitan, you're a good egg. And uh, I think what you're doing is amazing. I think people need to start to pay attention to Natty Branding if you're not paying attention. And um, I think you can see Eitan all over the socials and certainly LinkedIn where you can uh, not only see the great work of the agency, but also see the, see the good things. The writer series, they should follow that. The, yeah. one, the article that you wrote as well. Yeah, the writer writers series. Yeah. good. We didn't talk about that, but never mind. <laughs> all right, well... Thank you for being on the show. We loved having you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.